You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Well, as we watch that video, I especially like the last part of the video that showed the grandpa being reminded that he also, uh, you got this. Well, that message resonated with me this past week as my wife, Jane, and I celebrate the birth of our second grandchild, Aaron Grace Hendricks, the first child born to our son, Tommy, and our daughter-in-law, Christina. Uh, Aaron was born on Monday, uh, June 12th, and I appreciate many of you told me you were praying for her, and it worked out. I was able to get through last Sunday and then uh, hit the road Monday, and I was able to be there and see her that about midnight on June 12th. And just want to let you know, Aaron, mother, and daddy are all doing great, and we're extremely grateful. Now we don't only have one grandchild in Michigan, but we have two. And so uh, my uh, we, while we were up there, we got to also spend time with our other granddaughter, Jacqueline, and uh, had a great time. And in fact, uh, my wife uh, uh, just enjoyed, yesterday she got to have the two granddaughters meet. So that was really, really special. She's still up there. We call Michigan now grandparent heaven. And so uh, uh, I, I got a feeling it's going to be hard to get my wife back to Ohio now. But uh, uh, we had a great week. Hopefully you had uh, a great week as well. This weekend, we're also uh, celebrating Father's Day and, and we're having our Father's Day car show. I woke up this morning and I heard thunder about 6.30 this morning. I got down on my knees. And I said, Lord, just if you could just make it be clear. And, you know, I'm grateful. The sun's shining and it's clear out there. I should have prayed, give the car owners the courage to bring their cars out. I, I should have prayed that as well. So next time I'll do that. But uh, we want to encourage you to stick around following the service and, and get a ballot and vote for your favorite car because we have, we have a trophy called the Congregation's Choice. And we want to invite you to participate, stick around for some lunch and enjoy being with others here at Southwest. Now, we're not only honoring dads today, but we're also drawing to conclusion a message series entitled What We Leave Behind a four-week series on legacy. Now, throughout this series, we've seen that Israel's leader, Joshua, left a lasting legacy for people of faith who would follow after him. On the subject of legacy, Pat Moore wrote, you can't leave a legacy if you don't live a legacy. You first must ask yourself, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? Then you start living it today. If you want to leave a legacy of Christ, then start living a life devoted to Christ. Throughout this series, we've seen that Joshua not only left a legacy, but he lived a legacy of faith. And this weekend, we want to encourage, especially all the dads and the granddads in the crowd, 
to learn from Joshua and to live a legacy of faith for your children and for your grandchildren and for the generations to come. Now, let's learn together as we, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Joshua, but we're going to fast forward to the end of the book uh, today as we uh, celebrate Father's Day. And we're going to look at a summary of Joshua's leadership. So in Joshua chapter 23, we read this summary of his leadership of Israel. Verse 1, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. As this section begins, we're told that a long time had passed. Chapter 23 and 24 describe the end of Joshua's life, which we believe was approximately 20 years after Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land. In chapter 23, we read a specific charge that Joshua gives to the leaders of Israel. Now, one of the many aspects of of Joshua's leadership that I truly appreciate is that Joshua, uh, who at this point is an elderly father figure for all of Israel, he truly was a humble leader who was quick to point leaders and all the people to the one that he was trusting, the one that he was following, our Father in heaven. Now, here at the conclusion of the book, Joshua is quick to say, it was the Lord who, your God, who fought for you. You know, he could have maybe celebrated some of his accolades, some of his personal victories, some of his personal triumphs, but that's not what he did. He was quick to point all the people to the Lord and what he had accomplished You know, in my years as being a Christian and my years in Christian ministry and leadership within the church, I've had the privilege to be led by a a number of talented leaders, going back to when I first became a Christian. And I'm grateful for every spiritual leader that God has brought into my life and what I have learned from them. For for the most part, I've learned many valuable, great lessons. Now, unfortunately, there's been a few that I learned some, some things not to do as well in leadership. There have been some of these leaders that I was quickly impressed with their intelligence, their speaking ability, and the many God-given talents that God had given them. On the other hand, I've had the privilege to also learn from leaders whose result of being influenced by them, I left being more impressed with God's love, God's wisdom, and God's power. Joshua was one of those leaders that when you read about his life and his leadership and the legacy that he left behind, you leave not so impressed with Joshua the man, but you leave impressed with the God that worked through Joshua. 
In fact, when we were introduced to Joshua at the very beginning of these two series of messages that we've worked our way through uh, this great book that bears his name, uh, we, we were told in Joshua chapter 1 that the Lord instructed him to be strong and courageous. In fact, even the people said, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And you might say, well, why was he continually reminded over and over again, be strong and courageous? I believe it's because of in himself, he was weak and timid naturally. And you see, I think that God worked powerfully, that God's power was seen through Joshua's weakness to lead the people in a great way. I've always related to Joshua because in so many ways I feel weak and timid in my own strength. And yet my hope is that God's power will be seen even in spite of my weaknesses. That, that was uh, impressed upon me uh, a number of years ago. We had someone new to Southwest had just recently become a member. And, and after they'd been a member for a while, they came up to me one week and they said, you know, the pastor of the church, our previous church, I mean, he was so intelligent. He was so articulate. He was so organized and disciplined. And I've come to see you're nothing like that. And I thought, well, I think I'm encouraged, you know. But you know, the truth of it is I, I, I don't resist that comment because I sense and feel weak many times. And yet my hope is, and I think we can take this from Joshua's leadership, that God's power was seen in his weakness. Now, on this Father's Day weekend, I think there's an application for the dads and the granddads in the crowd. You see, are we trying to just simply impress upon our children our love, our wisdom, examples from our character, or are we quick to point them to a father that will never disappoint them, a father that's perfect in every way? Are we quick to point them to God's love and God's wisdom and God's character? You see, that's exactly what Joshua did here. And with that said, let's go ahead and read Joshua's specific charge to the leaders there as he gathers first the leaders in chapter 23. In verse 1, this is what he had to say, the leaders of Israel. So be very, excuse me, verse 6. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you've done until now. Here we see Joshua reminds the leaders to be faithful to the book of instruction, or as some translations read, the law of Moses. Now, earlier in the book of Joshua, and it's really a cool scene, in Joshua chapter 8, he, 
assembles the, all the people. And, and in front of one mountain, he has some people reading the blessings of God. And, and on the, in front of another mountain, he has the people read the curses that will come of disobedience. And then it says that he read to them all the instructions of the Lord. Think about how long that would have taken. You know, their attention span, I think, was a little longer than sometimes ours today. Now, it was a little easier, too, because Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. So when he stood up to speak and to read all the instructions of the Lord, it was only five books. Aren't you glad that we don't assemble to read all 66 books in one setting? That would be a daunting task. And yet, I'm determined, Lord willing, if the Lord gives me the opportunity in the years, during the next 10 to 12 years, my hope... And my goal is to try to expose those that worship here at Southwest to every book of the Bible. We're keeping track. And and our goal is to make sure that we teach the whole will of God, not in one setting, but over a period of time that we'll teach from both the Old Testament that points to Jesus Christ and the New Testament that talks to us about what it means to follow Jesus. You see, our commitment here at Southwest to be a church that's truly devoted to the Word of God. We talk often about our mission is to be a church that's committed to following Jesus and making disciples, and that is our mission. And yet we also want to be a a, a church, a people that are committed to the Word of God, that we don't conform to the, the, the competing voices around us, and the culture, and even some of the gods or idols in our world, but instead that we cling to the Lord Almighty. This is something I try to consistently impress upon our ministry staff leader and the small group leaders here at Southwest, that we simply not be a church that enjoys hanging out together. That's good, and we want to do that. We're going to talk about that the next couple weeks, but we also want to be a church that's making sure we're always devoted to the Word of God. That's why I was thrilled this year when Tammy Starr, our children's minister, announced that, that we're using for Vacation Bible School a curriculum that's entitled um, the Operation Arctic, VBS, okay? And, it, and the whole focus of this four-week, uh, every Sunday afternoon during the, the month of June, is to talk and expose our children and the children that we can influence to the coolest book on the planet. And we're going to do the third of those four weeks this afternoon from 3 to 5.30. And I hope your kids can participate in that and maybe and bring some other kids with you. You know, my wife and I have had the privilege during the last two weeks to teach preschoolers. And uh, it's, uh, I tell you what, you've not been tested in your teaching and ability to keep a crowd with you until you teach preschoolers. And, but we've enjoyed that. And, and during the two weeks, we've been teaching the preschoolers one memory verse. I think the curriculum said to do four, one each week. But we thought, okay, uh, let's do one. And let's just really get it down. So the first two weeks, we keep teaching. And my wife, who's more in tune to preschoolers than I am, she said, let's teach them some hand motions. Okay? So... 
this verse goes really well with what we just read where, where Joshua said, you know, be committed to the, to the law of Moses. Be committed to God's law. Uh, and so from Psalm 119, and I'm going to teach you the hand motion. So can you just pretend to be preschoolers for a moment and do it with me, okay? And let's have some fun, but let's learn from God's word. In Psalm 119, verse 18, and here's the hand motions. Open my eyes that I may see, okay? Uh, the wonderful, that's wonderful, things in your law. Okay, can you say it with me? Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. I saw the hand motions, but I didn't hear you. Okay, so can you say it with me? I know you were focused on the hand motions. It's hard to, you know, chew gum and walk at the same time, but let's try it. Okay, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in, oh, I forgot wonderful, in your law. Can we do it one more time? Because I messed up. Okay, here we go. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. That's what, hey, we did good. Okay, yeah, yeah. We see that's what Joshua was trying to impress upon the leaders and his charge to them. Be devoted to the book of the law. Be devoted to God's book. Let's be a church. Let's be a people that are always committed to the book. The goal is not to become Bible scholars. If you want to become a Bible scholar, that's great. I, I may admire them. But, but at the same time, let's make sure that we're a people that have the eyes to see the true author that the Bible points Two, the author of life and his faithfulness that he continues to demonstrate over and over again. Joshua impressed upon the leaders and the people that he led, and he told them in Joshua 23, verse 14, that God is always faithful. He says, now I'm about to go to the way of the earth, all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. If you were here last week, we celebrated and talked about the promises of God. If you weren't here, you might want to go to the message, uh, the website and look at, listen to that message. And we just celebrated and listed a number of promises that we can have confidence in, that we can know are certain and are true in our life. God's promises never fail. Now, following this charge of the leaders in chapter 24, Joshua assembles all the people, and he gives a challenge to the people. Let's read about it in Joshua 24, verse 1. It says, then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Some translations read that they, they came and presented themselves before God, and that's more accurate really here. It's this idea of, of sitting before God and worshiping him and admiring him and, and, and honoring him. And here we see an inclusive call where he gathers all the people. Now, I use the word challenge, and it's because I got that alliteration thing going, you know, uh, charge, challenge, and choice, and preachers like to do that. But probably a better word would have been reminded. Yes, he, he's going to challenge them in a minute with a choice, and we're going to 
looked at that, but, but he first just reminds them of all that God has done. If we, if we took time and read through verses 2 through 13, we'd see that Joshua just rehearses with the people all that God had done. In fact, he uses, and, and he says, thus saith the Lord. And, and it's as being a spokesman for God. It's God speaking through Joshua. And he uses, I counted 16 different times, the divine personal pronoun, I. He says, listen to what God has done. He says, the Lord says this, I. And he goes on to say, I uh, called you. I, I sent you. I took you. I gave. I brought. And what we notice here is that Josh was continually pointing the people to God, his wisdom, his power, and his faithfulness. And with that said, we get to the real heart of Joshua's message and, and the real thrust of what we want to focus on this Father's Day weekend here at Southwest. We see that just like Joshua charged the leaders and challenged the people, he challenged them to make a choice. And that truth is found in the next few verses. And I believe it's a choice for every generation. It's a choice for you and for me. Let's read about that choice that Joshua calls them to in Joshua 24, verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord. Now, let me just pause there for a minute. Sometimes people shrink back when you use verses that say fear the Lord because they think, okay, are you saying I should be afraid of God? No, that's, that's not what this word means. There is a holy fear, don't get me wrong. But it's this idea of awe and respect and, and honor that that God is God and we are not and that we worship him as almighty and that we, we fear him in a proper way. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love that phrase. Joshua at the end, he says, you got to make a choice. But he says, as for me, I've already made the choice. In fact, we've got a plaque that says that in our cafe. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The twist in this passage is that Joshua reminds the people that God had chosen them. And yet now they are to make a choice. Are they going to choose to fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness? You see, I believe God's always at work calling people to him. I I believe that God wants every person on this planet to come into relationship with him. And I believe he's at work doing that. And, And we're told in scripture that in Jesus Christ, he has chosen a plan, a means for us to come into relationship with him and call him Abba, Father. 
And although I don't believe we should ever take credit for responding to God's invitation, it's, a, it's only available because God loves us and because he's a God of grace and he extends mercy to us and he invites us and yet we still have a choice to make. Are we going to respond to that invitation? Are we going to respond to that call to become a part of God's family in Jesus Christ? One writer commented, on this passage, that the real challenge from Joshua is not will Israel choose the Lord, Yahweh. I thought this was insightful. But the real challenge, why in the world would they choose to worship or serve any other God? After he rehearsed with them all that God had done for them, why would they choose to worship or serve any other God? You see, if you read this text, you see, uh, and we believe that Abraham and his family, before he was called by God, worshipped false gods. But they made a choice to turn from those false gods and turn to the true living God. Uh, You see that Israel continued to struggle with that. You know, Israel, when they're released from Egyptian slavery and and, and they've got freedom. And remember when Moses is up on the mountain and he's receiving the Ten Commandments and it doesn't take them long at all that they, they build this golden idol and give thanks to it. Now, if you research a little bit, you find out that the Egyptians worshipped a golden calf. See, they, they'd started assimilating some of the idols of that culture into their life and into their hearts. You see, it's so easy. And the, the promised land that they just inhabited, there were all these tribes and nations that uh, nations that worshipped false gods. And, and, and Joshua says, don't, don't choose to worship any of them, but worship the Lord. Now, we're We're faced with that same choice today. See, are we going to bow down to the idolatry of career? The idolatry of money and possessions? The idolatry of public opinion and culture conformity? The idolatry of sports? Or even the idolatry of family? Or have we chosen to instead bow down to the Lord and Him alone? Now, some of you might think, well, that's weird that you brought up family. I'm not advocating on Father's Day an anti-family message. And yet, the best gift that dads and granddads can give their children and grandchildren is that they're inheriting from them an undivided love for the Lord. You see, our children know us better than most. And They might know that we gather on Sunday and sing these great songs of worship or sing about how great God is and how awesome he is and how we love him with all of our heart. But then they observe us during the week and they see what the real priorities of our life are. Are Is that consistent with what we sing on Sunday mornings? Do your children, do my children see that we truly fear the Lord and serve him with all of our hearts. On this Father's Day weekend, I have two competing thoughts. On one hand, I find myself every Father's Day being a bit sentimental, thinking about my dad, who's no longer with us. He passed away almost 10 years ago. 
In fact, my aunt, his last living sibling, just passed away at the end of last year. And, and, and after she passed, uh, the family all kind of met and we, we went through her things and we found all these old photographs. And, and my sisters and I have been going through these photographs and sharing them with each other. And it's really been a, a great way to reminisce. And, and I wanted to share some of those photos with you because my dad has had a tremendous influence in my life. You know, my dad, that's one of my favorite pictures of him because he's, he's smiling real big. He's, he, he loved to laugh. I'm grateful for that. We got another picture. This is either right before he went to, the, to World War II to be in the Navy or when he came back. There's so many things about my dad I respect and, and just uh, treasure in my heart. Now, my dad wasn't a perfect man. Neither is his son. But one thing, and here he is with his family when we were all young. My dad was a man of integrity. In fact, at his funeral, the speaker said, if you want to know about Rex Hendricks, look up the word integrity in the dictionary. And that's, that's a great legacy that he's left for me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful that he was not only faithful to keep his word, but he deeply respected God's word. And he passed that legacy on to me as well. And yet, that wasn't always the case in his life. But it was a result of a very important choice that he made along the way. You see, my dad grew up in a religious home, and, and although he grew up in a religious home, there was a lot of heartache in the family he grew up with. My grandfather, his dad, made some bad decisions, and it left some deep wounds in our family. About that time, my dad was drafted, went to the Navy, went to World War II. During that time, he really wasn't seeking God, and and really was he was unchurched. He came back, met my mom, they got married, they were unchurched together, and then they started having kids. And after a number of years, he, they said, maybe we need to seek God. I think my dad saw some, some bad examples growing up. He said, I want something different for my kids. And so he made a choice. He made a choice to, to seek God. He made a choice to honor God's word. And because my mom and dad were people, their word, they, they put off making a commitment for a long time. They started attending this little country church in southern Indiana, the church I grew up in. And they attended for three years. And after three years, they said, maybe it's time for us to make a choice. And they made their decision for Christ and were baptized. And back in those days, they were baptized in an outside creek in the fall. And boy, you had to be committed, you know, when you're baptized outdoors, when it's not summertime. But you know, that choice has made all the difference in my life. That choice has made a difference in my sister's lives, in our kids' lives. And now our grandkids' lives. A choice of one man who said, I don't want to repeat the past. 
I want something better for my family. I'm so grateful and so thankful for the choice that my dad made. Now, as we fast forward some 50-some years, Jane and I find ourselves with three adult married children and two grandchildren and hopefully more to come. We're encouraging that in our family. And by the way, my newest joy this Father's Day was to be able to witness this past week my son be a father and hold his daughter. It was awesome. It was awesome. But yet, the question that's really circulating in my heart This weekend is, what legacy are we leaving for our children and for our grandchildren? You know, I came back, but my wife shared with me, even through a picture that she texted me, she said a great moment was yesterday she spent time with our new granddaughter and our our other granddaughter got to meet her and and Jane was holding both of them and our, our older granddaughter saying, Jesus loves me to our newest granddaughter. And we're excited about seeing this legacy of faith being passed on. And yet in the midst of that sentimentality and joy, I, I try to imagine 50 years from now, what kind of legacy will my children and our grandchildren and even great-grandchildren inherit from us? What kind of legacy are you leaving For those who come after you, your children, your grandchildren, good friends that you're investing in, what kind of legacy are you leaving behind for those who come after you? Let's conclude by reading the very end of Joshua, the summary of Joshua's legacy. I love this. In Joshua 24, verse 29, it says, After this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. By the way, he's no longer described as the assistant to Moses. He is the servant of the Lord. He died at the age of 110. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. As a tribute to Joshua's leadership, what do we see? We see that as long as he was alive and as long as the people that he influenced were alive, Israel worshiped and served the Lord. That's a great testimony of the legacy that he left behind. In many ways, it was because of the choice that he made and the virtue of this one man that an entire people were blessed. As we've said throughout this series, Joshua really is a leader pointing us to a future leader. Joshua in Hebrew, the Greek name is Jesus. Joshua points us to the one who we follow, Jesus Christ. And I thought it would be appropriate to close this series with this quote from A.W. Tozer. And I think it also serves as a preparation for a time of communion. This is what A.W. Tozer said. A real Christian is an odd number. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Have you ever thought about that? 
He expects to go to heaven or she expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be fulfilled. Admits he's wrong so he can be declared right. Goes down in order to get up. Is strongest when he is weakest. Richest when he is poorest. And happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live. Forsakes in order to have. And gives away so he can keep. I love that line that a Christian expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. That's what we remember every time we take communion. You see, we're called to be people of virtue. But in communion, we're reminded that we're not going to go to heaven based on our virtue. We're not going to experience eternal life forever with the Father and the Son and the Spirit and all those who've gone before us. We're not going to experience that based on our character, based on our perfect living out what God commands us because we're not perfect. We fall short. But in communion, we're reminded that, that our hope is based in the virtue and choice of another that the Son of God chose to leave heaven and came to earth so that we could be adopted into God's family forever. As we take the bread, we're reminded of the body of Jesus. Be grateful. Let's be grateful that Jesus made that choice. As we take the cup, we're reminded of the blood of Jesus. Let's be grateful of his virtue of seeing it through to the point of death so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be a part of God's family. Let's pray to him. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that you've given us people like Joshua, people of faith that have gone before us to be examples to us. Thank you for what we've learned through these series of messages from him. And thank you for the one he pointed to, your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose to leave heaven for us. And you saw it through to the point of dying on the cross. Help us during this time of communion realize that heaven is ours. Not based on our virtue, but upon yours. It's in your name. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.